You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ah, got him. That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime in accordance with the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news, rumors, and updates on The Bad Batch, The Book of Boba Fett, The Mandalorian Season 3, and all the other cool and exciting projects coming up in the Star Wars universe. Um, It's good to be back. It's been a while, but uh, we've got a lot of great Star Wars stuff to talk about uh, once again. So um, as always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Tim and Paul. How's it going, guys? Yeah, you said it, Kyle. Good to be back, especially after 16 weeks of great Star Wars television and more is on the way later this year. So a lot to be excited about on the Star Wars TV front. Yeah, this is a it feels good. Good to be back because we haven't talked in a long time. I miss you guys like crazy. Got some interesting things to talk about. We've got a great season of the Bad Batch to talk about and kind of retrospect and kind of break down the last, you know, what, three or five episodes, whatever we have. And we got more on the way, like Tim said, and there's it, it really feels like it's kind of came to, came to me now, guys. It feels like Star Wars is starting to evolve a little bit, slowly but surely. It's starting to evolve. And I think with Visions is kind of like maybe one thing we could kind of we'll talk about it then. But it's just interesting. So, yeah, I'm excited to get into all of it today. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, like I said, it's it's good to be back with you guys after uh I don't know, a bit of an unintentional hiatus. I know on our last episode, I said we were going to be back at least by the end of July talking about whatever Star Wars gaming news came out of EA Play, and then uh, there was none. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's been a little light on the news lately, but we've had a few things here and there that we'll that we'll talk about and then uh, definitely dive into Bad Batch Season 2. But um, yeah, I mean, at least, EA, at least EA gave us a heads up ahead of time that there wasn't going to be any Star Wars stuff at EA Play. Um, they did say that they're going to have like a big reveal of whatever Star Wars stuff they're working on next year. So I would assume, I'm assuming probably at Celebration we'll get some announcements and then some more stuff at E3. Um, that's usually how I it goes. Forgetting. Is Celebration happening? As of now it is. Yeah, it's uh, Memorial Day next year. So that'll be in May. Next year. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next year. So that'll be in May and then, uh, you know, E3 and EA Play and all that stuff will be uh like in july um and usually when they have a new star wars game coming out or something there's usually like the announcement and like reveal trailer or like a cinematic like story type trailer at celebration and then followed by like some actual gameplay that we get to see at e3 so um i would imagine that's probably what we're gonna get next year at least for jedi fallen order 2 um 
And, you know, hopefully, like, I've heard some different theories on, you know, people are like, well, worst case scenario, like, all they're working on is Jedi Fallen Order 2, and they just weren't far enough along on it to show anything this year. Um, and best case scenario, maybe they have that plus a couple other Star Wars games that they're working on, and they really are going to have, like, a lot to show off next year. But we'll just kind of have to wait and see. Uh, we do know that uh, the game Star Wars Hunters that was supposed to come out this year... Um, that I think is supposed to be like a mobile and switch, like kind of cross-platform, like multiplayer um, type of game, um, which we still didn't really have any details on yet. But I'm, at least to me, I, I kind of got the vibes that this was supposed to be like a Star Wars, like Fortnite type game. Um, but that has now apparently been pushed back to next year. And I guess they're going to have like a soft launch or do some beta testing or something by the end of this year, but then it's not going to be fully released until next year. Um... So all we've got on the calendar for this year, potentially, as far as video games, is Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. And Maybe they can't even count on that either after all the time. Yeah. That has been delayed. <laughs> well, it keeps being delayed. And also, we I mean, it was supposed to come out in spring of this year, and then they pushed it back from that window. But we've never even had a concrete release date on that game, and we still don't right now. Um, I think just because it was originally supposed to come out this year, we're all still assuming and hoping that it'll be out sometime before the end of this year but we have no idea although i did hear something that maybe we were going to get some details on that at uh gamescom which i think is supposed to be i don't know i'll have to check the dates on that i feel like gamescom is usually in august but there's only a couple weeks left in august at this point so i don't know if that's later this month or if it's sometime next month but i'll check on that um but yeah, that we we could potentially get some news there and then maybe find out if uh, we're still getting that game by the end of this year or not. Um, but yeah, hopefully we'll at least have Jedi Fallen Order 2 and maybe some more Star Wars stuff to look forward to next year in addition to all the awesome Star Wars stuff that we're going to be getting on Disney Plus next year. Like 2022 is just going to be like an embarrassment of riches because... Oh, yes. um, <laughs> We're going to get, well, we're going to get, we know now that we're going to get Bad Batch season two, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, we're getting Book of Boba Fett at the end of this year, which I'm sure will carry over into next year. And then we'll get Cassian and Kenobi. And then uh, presumably we're still going to get Mandalorian season three sometime before the end of next year, um, which apparently like we know that Book of Boba Fett is done filming now. And uh, I think they said, oh yeah, like Giancarlo Esposito in an, did an interview recently and said that like, um, now that they're done filming uh, Book of Boba, that bat that Mandalorian season three is going to be going into production pretty soon here. So I would assume they'll be done filming that by the end of this year, and that that'll air sometime next time, sometime next year as well. So um, yeah, with video games on top of that, there's just going to be a ton of Star Wars stuff coming next year. Um, but we still have some exciting stuff coming before the end of this year as well, um, and uh, the. I guess the first of those um, after the finale of Bad Batch that we just saw. And of course, we're going to talk about that in depth, at the, you know, towards the end of the episode. We'll talk about that and kind of recap the whole season. Uh, but the next Star Wars thing that we have to look forward to is Star Wars Visions, which is the um, like the anime shorts. And I think on our last episode, we had just seen the, uh, you know, sort of the reveal, like behind the scenes type video that they did, did at that one like anime convention. That was just sort of our first official look at like some of the artwork and some of the details about it and stuff. But now we have a full trailer uh, that looks pretty dang awesome, along with some more details, including a full voice cast. And uh, I don't know about you guys. I was like, I, first of all, I was 
impressed just watching the trailer um, mm -hmm. and just seeing all the different styles of animation throughout these shorts. I can already kind of tell like some of them look like it's going to be more my cup of tea than others. I don't know if I'm going to love all of yeah. them. Um, I'm obviously going to watch all of them and, and give them a chance. But there were a couple in particular that really got me excited. Um, especially the one where you see this one uh, like samurai looking guy like pulling out the red lightsaber and it's all in black and white except for the lightsaber but just like the shading Ugh. on his face and everything and the way the whole so thing moves looks like a it looks like a it's it looks 3d but 2d at the same time and it looks like animation but it also looks like a still frame like sketch and it also you know it just looks like a black and white like kurosawa samurai film so like that's the one i'm far and away the most excited for um but uh yeah it looks like a cool uh you know just variety of characters and stories and animation styles and even if you don't love all of them there should at least be something for everybody in here the designs in Star Wars Visions is tremendously better than half the stuff I see in the comic books. And it pains me to say that. Can you name any particular examples? <laughs> no, I will not name any examples because I don't want to be that person. And I was ranting and raving to the guys before the show about something, which we'll, I don't want to get into. But regardless is that you know, one of my big things about, I think, since Disney's taken over is, is that for the most part, it's been pretty, I'd say, solid you know, to, to, you know, or I would say for the most part, it's been solid. There's been highs and lows, I think, of designs, but it's for the most part, it's been okay. I think it's definitely gotten better. I think with the Mandalorian stuff and, and obviously with Dave Filoni's Rebels and things like that. And obviously the sequel trilogy has, has its moments, but I've been highly critical of all three films in the sense of like design wise, I feel they've been pretty flat for the most part, but part of that's by design, et cetera. I bring all that to say that Star Wars Visions is a, just a refresh refreshing uh more a look at star wars while it feels like star wars but it feels also adventurous and i think that's not just in the the designs itself guys but actually in the actual stories i feel that mm -hmm. everything just feels it doesn't feel restrained and and no part of it is because it's not it's loosely canon or or whatever and a lot of people are talking about that as like it could be a bad thing or, you know, it's all it's whatever. And, I, and I'm I am the king of loving canonicity. I love when things all connect and there's meaning. I think the what what I what I can automatically already see in this, guys, that I think is different than what we've gotten before is that they're not playing it safe. They're just going for it. Like there's yeah, no, sure. <laughs> there's mm -hmm. no like, well, we can't do this because a movie might want to do it. And no, no, no. It's like, here, just do whatever you want. It, and it feels like that's what they did like back when George Lucas first uh, started the EU. He kind of he let people just kind of go run amok. Now, there is a problem with that, which will, you know, I, I, I could go on for days about EU that was is not great or whatever. But the nice thing is about already with visions in this trailer is that the designs, the feel, it feels like Star Wars, but it feels like treading on a new different uh, waters for it, that it feels fresh. And some of the things we see in there are ridiculous, but I kind of love that they're kind of ridiculous to be kind of, to be honest. So I think for me, I immediately am gravitating towards this and I am not an anime person. I'm just getting more into manga recently. And I, I, like I said before in the previous show, but this is way more up my alley. And I think this is gonna. I think this should show people if this is hugely successful, they need to go be more adventurous in some of the storytelling. And I think if you listen, you know, again, read the high Republic stuff, which I've, I've been enjoying for the most part, but like it, it feels even that still playing it safe. 
right? Like with some of their ideas of like, we can't show people lightsabers that are not Sith or, or we can't show Sith or whatever. It's like, no, no, no. In Star Wars Visions, like there's no holds barred. It's anything goes. And it's kind of awesome. It's like, yeah, like you don't have to play everything safe so much. So I, 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 I fell in love with this even more so. I cannot wait for Star Wars Visions. And I can't wait for the novel to come out that's inspired by it. I'm curious how it all fits into canon, to be quite honest, and what that means. We kind of talked verbatim you know, so much about that already. But I'm curious where everything is going. I, I'm excited. I think this looks phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, getting that first behind-the-scenes look was cool just to kind of show us of what we can expect for the series. But but this full-blown trailer, I mean, I absolutely love this trailer. I think it looks great. And it's got really, got me really, really pumped for the series. I'm just so glad we're, it's not that far off, <laughs> just about a month away, which is cool. And you said it, Paul, just as far as it kind of being like Star Wars branching off to a, a brand new adventure for the franchise itself. And once I saw this trailer, this anime and Star Wars immediately felt like it's a match made in heaven with some of these stories that we're going to be seeing. Um, yeah. With these animation style, the crazy action and the crazy stuff we're probably going to see with it. I mean, the stuff we're seeing with the lightsabers already is, like you said, it looks ridiculous. But at the same time, it just looks awesome, too. Um, one of the ones I'm really excited about is the short called The Twins. Um, and you just see one of the twins um, looks like she's the one leaning towards the dark side. And she just goes all general grievous in, like these extensions. I think it might be from her suit, but just like almost eight lightsabers it looks like she's going to be dueling with then you see someone kind of put a lightsaber down to start spinning really quick like an umbrella almost and mm -hmm. just crazy stuff <laughs> but it looks really really cool it just fits the anime genre in itself too where you're just mixing that star wars flavor to it and like i said i think it's a perfect match for what we're going to be getting in this series and i said this before too and you mentioned it again kyle there's definitely going to be some shorts that um, are going to be geared towards different types of anime fans or and just uh, people in general. Um, so I'm not going to click with everybody. And But the good thing is there's a lot of shorts that are going to be released for Star Wars Vision. So if there's one that you don't like or does, it's not your cup of tea, no need to get too upset or disappointed by it because I'm sure the next one just might be something that is right up your alley. It would be amazing. So it's just great to have this variety of different animation styles, stories, and just action that we're going to get. And just a variety of interesting characters, too. We're going to be getting a lot of new-looking characters that that we haven't seen before in Star Wars, which is exciting. Both some that are human and alien species. So it's just, it just looks like a great time. And just uh, a first step in a, <laughs> as Obi-Wan said in A New Hope, your first step into a larger world. But in that sense, we're talking about the anime world here. <laughs> so Star Wars is taking its first step into the anime world. And so far, it's looking like a step that there's going to be multiple steps, I think. Because if this is going to be a success, which I think it will be, just basing off that trailer, how amazing some of this animation looks, I don't think this will be the only Star Wars visions that we'll get. And I think we talked about this on the last episode, too, where if there's this particular short that just resonates with the fan base and so many people and it's like the clear, popular one with the best story, best characters, this probably won't be the only time we'll see these characters or a, this type of story. I mean, they could branch off into the main canon or they just can continue telling more stories with these characters in the Star Wars vision and the anime style. So I just think the possibilities are endless with this and it just looks yeah. really, really cool. So yeah, this trailer it really did its job as far as selling how amazing and unique this type of Star Wars storytelling is going to be. And I just cannot wait for it. 
Yeah, and I think, I mean, one thing that I'm looking forward to with this, and I think we probably touched on this last time too, um, you know, you're talking about like seeing where this fits into canon or the possibilities of like if there's a particular character or story that they really like, like trying to integrate it more into canon. It's like, I have no idea where any of this stuff is supposed to fit on the timeline or if it's supposed to be officially canon. And I don't really care. Like I'm going yeah. into this just looking at it as an in, like a a different artistic interpretation of Star Wars. And, um, you know, yeah, I'm not watching like the girl with the, the six lightsaber arms popping out or the, the one person that had like, yeah, has like a staff thing that folds out with like an umbrella with like eight or ten lightsabers that are just kind of spinning. It's like, you know, they took that uh, Inquisitor spinning lightsaber and kicked it up to, you know, a 12 out of 10. Um, and I'm not looking at that going, oh, that's ridiculous or that's over the top or, you know, that can't happen because we didn't see it in the movies or whatever. It's just like, I'm just going to kick back and watch it and like enjoy the visuals and the storytelling and, you know, hope it's enjoyable and um, I don't know, like if some of the stuff is supposed to be integrated into canon, like I, we'll we'll see if we get that explanation or kind of see how all that plays out. But I'm not, you know, super concerned with that. I'm just I'm looking forward to enjoying a uh, just a different stylized artistic artistic interpretation of the Star Wars universe, and not really worrying about how it connects to other stories or characters that we know. Um, well, but I, I, I did hear one interesting take on it, though, from somebody who I was watching on YouTube that was like, you know, because it's called Star Wars Visions, it's like, what if these are all, they could all be intended to be like canon stories in a sense, in the in the yes. sense that like maybe, yeah, like whatever events you're watching unfold on screen that like those actually happened in some sense, but, yes. but because yes. they're all so stylized and because they're all putting, you know, their own spin on it, it's like, did the, the lightsaber blades actually whip out and like wrap around the other lightsaber and, you know, they look like whips or, you know, right. like liquid or all this weird stuff that doesn't look like anything we've seen in Star Wars before. It's like, that could be the part of it that's just somebody's own vision or somebody's own interpretation mm -hmm. of a specific event or a specific story that maybe is actually canon, but not all the details of it have to fit into like the specific canon of what we know happens in the Star Wars universe. And so, yeah. Um, that you know, there's there's different ways to look at it, but again, for me, like, it's just kind of nice to to not worry about. I mean, as much as I love the connected universe, and you know, I'm really excited for like Book of Boba Fett and seeing how that continues on from Mando season two and continues to build out this you know little world of of live action Disney Plus series and where that's building to with Ahsoka and the Mandalorian and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, it's also nice to just have something new coming out that you you kind of take that pressure off yourself and you're not wondering about like, like you're not going in with preconceived notions of, okay, how is, it gonna, how, how is it going to integrate this character or where is it going to go or how is it going to fit in? It's just like, I'm just going to enjoy it for what it is. So that's my that's my mentality going into it. No, and, and I think that that's, you said it best, that the fact is that they can... And they've already kind of done this all right already with canon. I think, and I think to me, it's very, it's, it's going to be loosely, not everything's going to be super defined by every little detail. As long as it's get, like, like bad batch is a great example, right? Like the whole thing with Kanan, it's not verbatim exactly what happened in the comic book, but for the most part, the main things all hit, like those things all still happen. And so I think that's the thing about it. Whereas these vision things, yes, all those ridiculous things, 
all those things could have happened in the Star Wars universe, just not exactly to that full detail. And in the end, how it actually, you know, what exact all the super details of getting uh, being canon or not is, is to me is not the biggest deal. It's the main points. It's the results of what is going on. Like those things all matter. So to me, and so if it, I mean, and I, I don't think everything's going to be full blown like canonicity either. But I do think there's going to be there's going to be some kind of connective tissue because I think you can't just ignore the canon from completely either. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't just, it's it's got to be a little bit rooted in something to give it some kind of grounding, some kind of base, some kind of base to to go off of. So. Yeah, I'm with you. I think there's going to be some kind of like, oh, this is a different interpretation of something that actually did happen at some point in the timeline or whatever. But we'll see. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think that it's going to be fun to sit down and enjoy it, you know. But at the same time, I do hope there is going to be some kind of basis for it, at least a little bit. But we'll see. I mean, there might be with some of them because obviously we like there's at least one where we're going to see Boba Fett. And um, I think, right. yeah, I think that's the Tatooine Rhapsody one where we also see like some familiar locations on Tatooine that we've seen from the movie. So that one might be a bit more connected. But some of them, I was also thinking about like the um, like the Myths and Fables book where all the stories in there are, you know, just sort of like mm-hmm. stylized interpretations. And some of them you can clearly tell that the story is kind of supposed to be about like Darth Vader or something. Um, right. Where and other ones are just like once upon a time, this mysterious warrior with a laser sword and mysterious powers showed up in this village and they did this cool thing and then they left and then they became a legend of the people that they passed on. And it's like, who was that person? We don't know, but this is just a cool story and it doesn't really need to connect to anything. So, right, um, right. I don't know. There, there may be a bit of of both of those in there. So, yeah, and that that probably is where it's probably gonna it's gonna lay somewhere in the middle of that. So we'll. You know, as far as a whole. Yeah. Um, But like I was saying, though, like, I mean, I was expecting there to be some really cool animation and stuff. Um, But then looking at the voice cast, I was surprised by some of the uh, some of the stars that they've got to voice some of these characters in here. Um, And I guess so, like we said, like all the episodes of this are dropping on Disney Plus on the same day on September 22nd. Um, there's, I think nine shorts, uh, from seven different anime studios. And again, they're, they're all, you know, they're just listing these all as short films. So we don't know how long they're going to be. Um, but I'm assuming probably anywhere from like five minutes to maybe 15 or 20 minutes. Um, but there'll probably be a few short ones, a few long ones, you know, it's, it's not going to be like a series where all the episodes are the same length or something. Um, but then I guess you'll be able to watch the, like have the option to watch them in Japanese with subtitles or um, just dubbed over in English, which is um, great to have that. Yeah, but with the so they released the English voice cast here on StarWars.com, and I mean they've got some stars in here like Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, Lucy Liu, Tamara Morrison, obviously as Boba Fett, um, Bobby Moynihan, who we know was in um, you know Star Wars Resistance, uh, but also like Neil Patrick Harris. Um, David Harbour, um, you know, from Black Widow and Stranger Things and, uh, and Simu Liu, who's playing, uh, Shang-Chi, which is about to come out. So, um, yeah, I was surprised seeing some of the big names on this voice cast list. In addition to, you know, some, like, there's a few familiar Star Wars voice actors in here too, that have been in some of the other animated stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's going to be pretty cool to see. So I'm looking forward to not only seeing just the, um, 
you know, the animation and, and just what they do with these stories, but uh, get to hear some cool vo vocal performances from some of these uh, stars that we've never heard in Star Wars before, too. So that's just another thing to look forward to about it. Yeah, the voice cast looks great. But I also got to give a shout out to one of the Japanese uh, voice actors, Masako Nuzawa, who's voicing T.O.B. One in that short, who has been at 86 years old, is still voicing Goku from Dragon Ball all the way back from 1984, <laughs> all the way up till now. And it's cool to have her in Star Wars also. So I'm excited about that. But going back to if I could have share one little disappointment, maybe I won't be disappointed when, disappointed when I see it. But I was so happy to see Temuar Morrison as the voice of Boba Fett. But. I'm just a little bummed that it looks like the only short he's going to be in is Tatooine Rhapsody, which is the one I'm least excited about right now, just based off the premise and uh, the animation style. Not necessarily my favorite, but we'll see if Boba Fett shows up in any other ones. But this is going to be great hearing his voice again, even if the animation style for that particular short is maybe a little more exaggerated than some of the other styles, because we do get a shot of Boba in this in the trailer. And when I first saw it, I was like, is that like Boba Fett's Mandalorian helmet, but the rest of it was like a ship? It just looked really weird. Mm -hmm. uh, it was like one of those uh, where a really short body, but a big head type style. So, yeah, um, it's, it's one of those ones where, you know, we're used to seeing that in anim different, a lot of different anime series. So it's no surprise that we're getting one like that in Star Wars Visions. But I just wish with Temuel Morrison voice and Boba would be one of the animation style that's like uh, the duel or something, because that looks pretty amazing. And to see Boba Fett in that art style, I, I, my mind would be blown. But there was also a shot in there of like Slave One flying through the rain, or sorry, Boba Fett's starship. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> oh, God. Gosh, I, whatever. I've seen him flying through the rain, uh, you know, firing lasers or whatever. Um, and like that shot looked amazing. And so I couldn't even tell. I'm like, is that supposed to be from the same, uh, like that same Tatooine Rhapsody short? Or is that maybe a different one? Or is that one like, even though the characters are kind of in that more like, you know, exaggerated cartoony kind of style, maybe there'll still be some really cool action or some really cool ship sequences or something in that one. So um, I was excited for it more for that shot than for the one of uh, Boba flying on his jetpack, which also looked pretty cool. Like just the angle of it and, and him flying on the jetpack, even though the uh, character model was, you know, maybe not what you'd expect for a character like that. But yeah, we'll see. No, yeah, but overall, just cool to get this trailer kind of unannounced or any tease about it coming and then just waking up one morning this week getting the trailer and then later on the day, oh, the voice cast is re revealed for it too. So just everything about this uh, series is just sounding really, really great. Sounding great and looking great. So yeah, September 22nd can't come soon enough. And again, we we're talking about how great 2022 is, but still 2021 getting the bad bat for 16 weeks and then just having a little bit of a break before we get the next series and then a little bit of break there and then we'll get the book of boba fett so we're still in for some great star wars stuff this year and so far what we've gotten has been great and what we're still have yet to get looks great too so uh, just looking forward to seeing all this stuff before the year is over yeah definitely um well yeah we'll look forward to that on uh, september 22nd um and i'm sure we'll be back with a new episode sometime around then once we've gotten to watch all of them and we'll, we'll do a review of all that stuff and uh talk about which ones are our favorites and the animation styles and all that cool stuff um now uh next bit of news i'm sure you guys have probably heard 
all about this already and and everybody's takes on it. But, you know, Disney finally kind of blew the lid off of their uh, Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser Hotel. And we got to see, you know, not just the concept art and stuff, but see, you know, images and get a bunch of official details about what's included in the rooms and what's included as part of the whole experience and the resort package and all that. Um, and the price, uh, and you know, <laughs> as, <small> detail. <laughs> as much as, as much as we would all love to go and, uh, get to stay in a star Wars hotel, um, you know, for $4,800 for two people, as, as our old friend, Luke Skywalker would say, we could almost buy our own ship for that much. <laughs> so, yes. um, man, it's, this is going to be crazy. I mean, I will, I will say like, <sighs> It's cool, at least what's included with this, um, because like, you know, it's it's a it's a two night stay um, and, you know, you get to stay at the resort. But like, it's not just you staying in a room and then getting up and leaving like it's, um, you know, it's got all these all these interactive Star Wars activities that are included in the hotel. It also like food is covered as part of it. Um, and then That's I think you, surprising. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So at least. I'm I'm trying to find the oh yeah so here's the details for what's included it's two nights stay in a cabin or suite ongoing immersive and interactive entertainment where you, where choices determine your experience food and beverages on the Star Cruiser it uh, excluding alcoholic and specialty beverages you have to pay extra for that and a quick service meal at Docking Bay Seven uh, which is the place at Galaxy's Edge or other food locations in Hollywood Studios um, admission to Disney's Hollywood Studios for your planetary excursion to Galaxy's Edge. And then valley parking and an exclusive Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser data data band. Um, so yeah, at least like all the food in the hotel is included. You get one meal ticket to use at the park, and you get admission to the park to like go to Galaxy's Edge and come back. Um, so like it's nice that you at least don't have to pay for a park ticket on top of the forty eight to six thousand dollars that you're paying for this hotel stay, but still that's a ridiculous amount of money. And you know, when, uh, when we went to galaxy's edge, we just crashed at Tim, Tim's place and spent, you know, a lot less than $6,000 on that whole weekend. Yes. So, um, yeah, that gives me an idea for our next galaxy's Edge trip. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just, no, we'll, we'll, we'll dress up Tim's guest room and yeah. just make it our <laughs> own right. star, ca- star cruiser <laughs> cabin. True. We'll take hey, I was you know, my lightsaber at night. Remember I was like messing with that all night. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, uh, yeah, heck I can bring one and you know, we'll do our own lightsaber yeah. training. We'll, we'll there print out like some galaxy maps and just hang that in the window and you know, it'll be yeah. like right there. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, for, for anybody that's got the money and is wanting to go, I mean, this does sound like it'll be, uh, a pretty cool experience, but, um, yeah, I, I said this when we were talking about it on rebel cells, I was like, Joe Biden's going to need to throw a few more of those stimulus checks my way before I'm going to be able to go stay there. So, um, I don't know, but like I said, for, for people that have got the money and cause that's the thing, right? Like everybody that I've heard talking about this is like, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. It's so expensive, but you know, people are going to go like Disney wouldn't like they want your money, but they're also smart and they're not going to charge an amount that nobody's going to be able to pay. So like, I don't know if you build it, they will come when it comes to star Wars stuff. Um, and somebody's going to be there paying this much to get this whole Star Wars experience. So if you're able to go, I hope you enjoy the heck out of it. I hope it's worth it. I hope you send us pictures so we can live vicariously because we're not going to be able to go, uh, anytime soon. But, um, 
yeah, I don't know. That's it's it's out there now. I think it starts uh, like spring of next year is when you'll be able to um, you know start booking stays. Um, the other thing too is you know the the sample dates that they provide here for these price ranges are for uh, like August twentieth through September seventeenth of next year. So like I hate to see how much that price is going to go up like in the peak of summer, like May or June when everybody's out of school, or like around Christmas time, like. It's probably going to be even more ridiculous, but um, I don't know. Hope it's a, a worthwhile and cool Star Wars experience for the people that are able to go. I'm just going to say that. Oh, go ahead, Tim. No, I was going to say, I also can't help but think of the line from Jurassic Park by Gennaro where he goes, oh, we can have a coupon day or something. I guarantee you a Disney exec said that when they're talking <laughs> oh, about prices. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, you know it, right? I, I don't know about you guys, but for me, I love immersing myself, like going to Galaxy's Edge. That stuff's really exciting. But besides that, I th- this ha- I do not want to immerse myself that much in it. I'm sorry, I just don't. I just I, even if it was cheaper, I wouldn't. I still wouldn't do it. I have no interest in that. So that's just me. No, yeah, I, I kind of know what you're saying. Especially once those prices were revealed, I was just like, nope. I'd rather just go to galaxy's edge multiple times and have that be my immersive star Wars experience yeah. because yeah, to be honest, I don't even know if the, going to the galactic cruiser will capture how amazing rise of the resistance was. And just well, probably, not. probably not. Although, I mean, it, it depends on what the whole interactive part is, right? Cause they said like your choices matter. And so I don't know how much of how much of a story there is to it and like how much you can actually impact things with different things that you choose. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I like, you know, I I've got my Kylo Ren costume and everything and I like cosplaying at conventions. So I like kind of getting into that immersive element of it. So, you know, if it was like half that price, I would probably try to save up and go. But, you know, for for as much as it costs. Yeah, you're right, Tim. Like, I'd rather just buy multiple park tickets and go to galaxy's edge multiple times instead of just having a two night stay. So. And that's probably what we'll be doing <laughs> for the next few years while the galactic cruiser is up and running and galaxy's edge is still there. So yeah, not to mention it's only in Florida and yeah. I don't know if they have any plans to build one in California too, but that's, you know, at least not for right now. So, uh, you know, from our side of the country, then you got to factor in airfare too. So. That's not cheap either. So yeah, yeah, for us on the West Coast, it'd be a little more expensive than just the price listing to stay at the hotel for the whole mm-hmm. trip. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, well, anyway, I mean, we'll we'll keep an eye on that as it's getting ready to, you know, launch next year. I'm definitely looking forward to at least watching like YouTube videos and stuff from people that do go because I want to see yeah. what the experience is like and, you know, hopefully it's really cool, but uh, yeah, I'm not going to have that kind of money to spend on that anytime soon, but, um, yeah, it'll be the total opposite of how it was for galaxy's edge when that opened and we didn't go right away where I was just staying away from all YouTube videos and as much image of it, of it as I could. Cause I want to experience firsthand, but yeah. as soon as videos go up for the galactic star cruiser, I'll be watching those right away. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yep. It'll be a while before I experience it myself. Yep. Same here. Um, Well, moving from that, we do have another thing that we can get very excited about, and that is uh, the special uh, Disney Gallery episode of The Mandalorian that's coming out next week as we're recording this, um, comes out August 25th, where they're finally going to be showing us almost a year later 
uh, all the behind the scenes stuff uh, from that final season finale episode and uh, Luke's return to the Mandalorian. Um, hopefully he'll finally get that character poster that he never got for the final episode <laughs> when they were doing, you know, the character posters for yeah. every, every uh, episode. Um, but man, I'm really looking forward to watching this and they re- uh, released a clip of it today of, you know, just like a minute of, um, a, a snippet of Dave Filoni talking about it. That's going to be in the episode and him talking about, uh, not only knowing that, uh, you know, it would be something that the fans would really love and, and, you know, just telling a good star Wars story and putting it out there for the fans, but even just him being on set and seeing the reaction from like John Favreau and Peyton Reed, and all these, you know, professional guys on the crew that are there being paid to make Star Wars and seeing them turn into little kids again when Luke Skywalker walks through the door um, was one, you know, just really cool just to think about how excited those guys get about it. But it was also really cool to hear Dave Filoni talk about it almost as like as George would or mm. almost as you mm. would hear him kind of talk about stuff with like the Clone Wars crew where he was kind of like the head guy over everybody um because like yeah i don't know like dave kind of felt like the newcomer coming into all this like directing in season one and i know you know he pretty quickly took on a role as not just a director but like you know being an executive producer with favreau over the whole series because he's so knowledgeable about star wars and and helping give his input about all this stuff um but at least to me like he's he still kind of felt like the new kid on the block in terms of like the live action production and stuff and to, you know, so just to to hear him talk about, you know, John Favreau and Peyton Reed and guys like that, that are not only like friends and colleagues of his, but for him to be the guy with all the Star Wars experience, kind of looking on them as like the little wide eyed kids, you know, with Luke Skywalker walking in. I don't know. It just it was like good for Dave, man. I hope that guy just gets to keep, you know, overseeing as much Star Wars stuff as possible. Um but I also hope this episode is really long because, again, just I, I could listen to Dave talk Star Wars all day and I want to hear him talk all about this process of uh, bringing Luke back. But also, I'm sure we'll get to hear from John Favreau and Mark Hamill and all these pe- other people that were involved. And um, gosh, it's just going to take us back to reliving all over again what was just such a cool and such a special moment for us as Star Wars fans. So uh, Definitely something cool to look forward to next week that, uh, I don't know, maybe we'll, on our next episode, we'll, we'll talk about that too. Um, I don't know if we're going to do a whole episode just about that, but hopefully it will not be another month and a half before our next episode. I know we keep saying that, but um, we've actually, we've got a couple things in the works that we want to talk about and come back and do episodes about. So um, yeah, I'm sure we'll definitely mention that the next time we're on as well. And that should be a lot of fun. Yeah, Mandalorian season two is just the season that just keeps on giving. <laughs> just when you thought uh, that amazing season uh, was over, we got this because I honestly didn't think we would get anything for that season finale and why they didn't put it on the first season two gallery episode was because I thought there was no behind the scene footage for it. I think we talked about how the lack of not having anything about Luke in the season finale was because they didn't want the secret to get out and they didn't have a behind the scenes crew or anything like that to film that stuff. So that's kind of what I took it as. So when I found out we were getting this and we're getting all this behind the scenes uh, footage coming out with Mark Hamill back as Luke Skywalker, it was just on set. I would, I just got so super excited to see all that stuff. And I just cannot wait for that special gallery episode. I'm glad it's only a week away now as we're talking about it on this episode. So yeah, I, it's going to be great. I'm glad uh, they they 
we kind of thought, I don't know when the first gallery episode, some people thought they forgot about it or what's the reason why it wasn't here. But I guess they knew all along that it was just so special that moment that it deserved its very own episode. And I would gladly wait those few extra months since we had that gallery season two back in December. Now we're going to get it at the end of August. It'll be worth the wait just to have one dedicated all about that season finale and the return of Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker in that era of Star Wars. So, yeah, it's going to be amazing. So and that one clip that you're talking about with just Dave Filoni talking about uh, being on set with Mark Hamill and Luke Skywalker being in that episode, it got us. It got me pumped. I'm sure it got everyone pumped who saw it to see that. And I just can't imagine, like you said, Kyle, more Dave Filoni talking about that stuff. But then, of course, hearing from Mark Hamill. John Favreau, Peyton Reed, and just every, hopefully the other cast members who were in that episode too. It's just going to be fantastic. So yeah, just chomping at the bit <laughs> to get that special. So um, yeah, not too long of a wait now. And it's going to be on a Wednesday too. That, that's the other thing. Most Disney Plus shows are premiering on Wednesdays now. Um, so I know the Marvel stuff has been, it looks like Star Wars is going to follow suit. Um, I check up this 22nd was a Wednesday for visions, but it probably is. But um, in this case, um, I prefer the Friday releases, but um, when it's something that you just can't wait to see, <laughs> you're kind of glad that it is happening a couple of days earlier than what you're used to for the Friday releases. So um, it's just going to be great to get this when it does finally come out. And like you said, hopefully it is um, a pretty lengthy special or um, I don't know if it's going to be as long as the first two words or the first uh, season one, uh, Getting confused because I know season one gallery was several episodes and season two had its own special, which was like over an hour. So I don't know if this one's going to be that long, but um, hopefully it's just a good enough length that just feels as satisfied in that special moment and that special episode gets the attention that it deserves. And I I think it will. So it's just going to be a great time seeing all that behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, Oh, the other thing I was going to say, too, um, because I think. I think part of the reason we didn't get it attached to the first gallery episode, um, I think part of that was to avoid spoilers, but I always figured, I was like, with something that big, like they have to have some behind the scenes material of it because they know the fans are gonna wanna see it at some point. Um, And so I think, you know, I'm sure they like, well, obviously they're willing to have a camera crew there to film some behind the scenes stuff and and weren't worried about that getting out. But to then have it go to like the editors and then the distribution people at Disney Plus, I think that's why it wasn't included in in that. Yeah. In that first gallery episode that came out in December right after the season, I was like, yeah, that doesn't surprise me that it wasn't included in there because they wanted to keep just that airtight seal around the spoilers and not risk anything getting out. Um, you know, through those other distribution channels and and all those other steps that come after filming it. Um, But then I had kind of forgotten about it because it was so many months ago and I was like, you know, I I don't know why they waited all the way till now in August, which makes me wonder if maybe they'll have some kind of tease for the Book of Boba Fett or what's going to come next in Mandalorian season three or something like that. And, uh, you know, maybe there's a reason why they waited to put put it out later in the year. Um just to kind of keep people's interest up or, or to kind of tease some of the upcoming stuff. But um, I don't know, maybe we'll get some of that. I'm not getting my hopes up too high. Cause again, I'm really just there for the Luke stuff and uh, anything else would be icing on the cake. But um, yeah, so we've got that to look forward to next week. 
Um, and then last but not least, um, you know, and we'll, we'll segue from this right into talking about the Bad Batch finale and uh, kind of overview of the whole season. But um, as we mentioned, Bad Batch has been announced for a season two um, that will be coming next year sometime on Disney Plus. So um, good to know we're going to be getting more of these guys. I think, uh, you know, I, I, I think I can speak for all of us when I say we're really enjoying this show and want to see more of it. Um, and especially where, you know, where it left off with the finale, there's a lot more of the story to tell. So, um, like I said, just looking forward to having that as just one more, uh, piece in the great lineup of Star Wars content that we're going to be getting next year in 2022. Yeah. I'm so glad they announced it before the finale aired just so in case it was a big cliffhanger ending or an ending that kind of wasn't definitive. We wouldn't be wondering, are we going to get a season two or is this it? So glad they announced that. I believe it was before uh, the penultimate episode aired that we knew we were getting the second season. So I was at least thankful for that. So that we wouldn't have that question, question lingering on our minds if while we were watching the finale episode, wondering if this was going to be it for the bad bad. So it was nice watching those last two episodes, knowing that a whole another season is going to be on the way for, for us. So that was great to get. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's to me, this was a, it felt like a foregone conclusion. Like I, I never once thought that we weren't going to get Bad Batch season two. Really? Because I but, was always unsure. Just, like I thought it felt like it can go either way, honestly. Yeah, I, I, I guess I, for me, you're right, Tim. I you're I thought that's, it, that probably was the case, but I never assumed that it wasn't going to, if that makes any sense. Like I, I definitely felt like it go either way. But I always kind of felt like, eh, it's, it's probably going to be renewed for a season two. It, it seems to be doing pretty well. Like The reaction from it's not like, well, think about this. Resistance got season one and two, right? <laughs> yeah, but, that yeah. felt, but I mean, like, and again, I'm not trying to dog on Resistance here, but I mean. Well, part that of me was, thought, too, was see, this season looks so phenomenal and so good. They're just putting all the resources into it because it's going to be a one and done season. That was a possibility that thought crossed my mind. We're thinking it might just be a one and done just for how amazing it looked. And they were just making sure they went all out for one season for their show. Yeah, no. And that's the thing. I, I thought that definitely could be it, but I never, I just, something felt very like the way they set up Omega. And especially as the season went on, you still don't really know. Like, it feels like there's still, and we'll get in that in a minute, but it just felt like it, it wasn't trying to wrap it all up with a nice tidy bow. And you could at some point a little bit, but like maybe do that. But it felt open ended enough to where they knew they were going to have probably a pretty su somewhat successful, at least season two. And that now I think it's, I mean, it's been regarded pretty well. So I think it's going to probably go on multiple seasons after season or at more than at least three seasons, if not more. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I would think this will probably go, I don't know, maybe three or four seasons. Um, but yeah, I, I, can't, I came into it kind of feeling the same way. Like I was assuming it was going to get a season two, but then also, especially with the way things were going in the last few episodes, I was kind of wondering like, well, wait, maybe are they going to wrap it up? Like, is it just going to be a one and done season? Like I, I kind of had that in the back of my mind and thought maybe they could do that if they wanted to. But yeah, I always was kind of operating under the assumption that, um, that it was going to go definitely past this season for sure. Um, I mean, I think as much as I love the seven seasons of Clone Wars, I think for new Star Wars stuff going forward, um, just so it doesn't 
you know, kind of get dragged out and then we don't have to worry about stuff getting canceled. I mean, honestly, I think the four seasons of Rebels that we got were, that was kind of like a perfect length of time to tell that story. Um, so unless it's something that really is sort of sprawling and um, either has like just a ton of stories that they can tell or has like one really long story that they want to tell from the get-go, I think doing like four seasons um, is is a pretty good sweet spot. Um but we'll see how many they end up doing with Bad Batch. I'm glad we're at least getting a season two. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. what. Do, I mean, we, I guess we can kind of just talk about the uh, the finale first and then just kind of, you know, talk about any, like, highlights from the season we want to or anything. I think the last time we recorded, I think we kind of, you know, touched on the show a little bit and, and gave our thoughts on where we were at in the season at the time, which I think was right at the halfway point. I think it yeah. was right after the Cad Bane episode. Yeah. Um, it was yeah, lost. Right. Yeah. 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 But that's pretty um, much right at the middle, right? That's basically. Yeah. Um, well, the I guess it was a little bit after the the halfway point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that, but essentially the first half of the season. So we yeah, we haven't talked about the Ryloth stuff. We haven't talked about War Mantle or, or any of that. But um, right. I mean, what'd you guys think of the uh I don't know, just kind of general thoughts on the, the second half of the season and how it wrapped up in the finale. Well, let, let me just, because I know I'm probably going to be the most negative about this over everybody. And and I, I would say that I, when I say I'm going to be the most negative, it's going to be like, the you know, just because I'm, I'm always saying the most negative things, but I still love the series and show so much. But I would say my biggest problem, and I know you guys all disagree with me, was that Ryloth arc? It really dragged. I felt once it hit that. Now there's important stuff they set up in those series or in those episodes, but after you get the Cad Bane stuff and then you get such great storytelling, I felt throughout for majority of that season, it just kind of hit a low for me right there. And it was great seeing Hera. It was great seeing you know all those characters we all love in the new animation and everything. It just I don't know. It just felt like kind of like. They're spinning their wheels just a little bit. So I, again, that's, and I don't think they were bad. I just have no ambition ever rewatching them. I just don't like Clone Wars had a couple of episodes like that for me. And now granted, this is not even near some of the worst episodes of Clone Wars, uh, you know, but there's some episodes like in Rebels that I wasn't super, you know, I don't ever want to watch again, really, maybe. And it's still probably are still above those, but they're not too far off either. I just I just didn't really care about that. And it definitely hurt me a little bit going to the episode after that, where it's the, that's pretty much the last three episodes is one what, what arc, basically. And which was, was a lot one better in between, which was probably the most forgettable episode of the season infested. Mm -hmm. Oh God! I for, I I did forget about that episode. <laughs> Holy crap! I totally forgot that. Oh, that yeah, because that what's her name makes her. Oh God, that episode's. Oh, you're right. You're right. There was that episode. So wrapping up, and we'll get more obviously more detail here in a second. But yeah, those three episodes were not great, and I kind of almost not lost interest, but just kind of lost like my my um momentum for the series it really kind of put me to a grinding halt the last three episodes fantastic right back up to par and 
I loved these last three episodes and I did, but it definitely killed my momentum before I got to that third last episode. I kind of was like, you know, eh, and I'm like, okay. Was, eh. I mean, the animation looked incredible that, I mean, they all, it looked, the whole season has been incredible, but that these last three episodes, things just looked even more realistic in 3d animation than ever. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, I felt like these last three episodes were way better than the previous three before them. And it put everything right back into perspective for me that I love the series. Again, not a perfect, you know, it wasn't a perfect slam dunk home run grand slam series, but be real. I mean, it's just, I think to me, the weakest episodes are all three in a row. That's just kind of weird. Usually they're a little more spread out like that. Right. But not for, not for me anyway. So, but yeah, we'll get more into it later, but I, I definitely love the series. I love Omega. I love whole bad batch. Can't wait to see where it goes. Great reveals. Um, yeah, I, I can't wait for more. Yeah. I thought the season ended spectacularly. (laughs) I mean, those last three episodes, like you mentioned, Paul, they were just, in my opinion, historical moments for when you're talking about big events in the star Wars timeline, which I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, but we'll get to when we dive deep into those episodes specifically. But, um, yeah, you're probably right that. You're going to be on your own on the Ryan Loft episodes, <laughs> Paul. I, <laughs> yep. I really did enjoy that. I just like the change of pace we got for it. And at this scene, I said this before too, but one of the things I was most excited about in this series was just seeing how the galaxy as a whole is kind of moving along and adapting to the Empire taking control and in power. And it was cool to see that on Ryloth with some familiar characters like Champs and Dula and Hera too, and just seeing where how she became to how we see her in, later on in Rebels and just the beginning, uh, seeing her love for flying at an early age and just how that's all she wants to do. And uh, just kind of seeing that early relationship with her father and getting to see her mother for the first time, um, who we know meets a tragic end, as we learned in Rebels. Um, so all that stuff just kind of world building Hera as a character and just um, the galaxy as a whole. And I just glad we got certain episodes um, throughout the course of the series that focus on certain planets or certain, certain corners of the galaxy, certain factions. I mean, the one before that, too, on uh, Common Ground, where they, the Bad Batch have to go rescue a Separatist leader, which I liked how Echo was kind of even questioning that. <laughs> they, should they even be doing that after all they fought for in the Clone Wars? So that made for some interesting scenarios. So stuff like that, I, I appreciated the different type of storytelling that we got over the course of the season. But, man, did it... Uh, set the stage up for some, like I said, really great finale in those last three episodes and just really diving into what really makes this show so great, in my opinion, and why I was so excited about this series from the get-go, dealing, uh, diving into more of the clones and their tragic story as we see unfold in these last three episodes. So that was great. So, yeah, honestly, this second half of the season I thought was just fantastic, minus the infested episode. And to me, that's probably the only episode that keeps this from just being almost a near perfect first season, um, which isn't anything to sniff at either. Because if you just have one bad episode, I, I wouldn't even call it bad. I, it's forgettable is what it is. It's just nothing really too exciting happened in it. And so you just one that you you just won't probably go back to watch very often unless you're doing a complete series rewatch. So but to have just, in my opinion, 15 really solid to great to even all-time amazing episodes i mean couldn't ask for a better first season and 
it was well balanced. I thought we got some amazing episodes in the first half and then some amazing ones in the second half. So, yeah, I just thought it was great all the way around. And just a great way to finish up what was an amazing first season. Yeah, it's it's funny because I feel like I might be between you guys a little bit. Um, first of all, I also love the Ryloth episode. So, yeah, Paul, you're you're on your own with that one. Um I kind I kind of wish that the season had built a little more momentum as it went along because um, there was some really cool stuff that we saw happen that I was kind of hoping would start to connect or that we'd see it build on each other. Um, like, for example, in those Ryloth episodes, uh, you know, with Captain Hauser and him getting, you know, some of the other clones to defect and rebel against the mm-hmm. Empire. And I thought that we were going to then see that tie into, like, Project War Mantle and that that was going to be a direct reason why Admiral Rampart is like, okay, we really can't be using these clone troopers anymore and we got to push forward with our stormtrooper thing. And then we find out that, like, they've already been using stormtroopers for a while and we just never see Hauser again and that's just kind of like a dangling loose thread. And I hope we see him again going forward but like that was just one of those things that i was hoping was going to um just kind of like have them build upon and and keep pushing um you know keep building on that towards the finale also you know there's some stuff like uh i think it's in that war mantle episode when rex asks them to go in and rescue gregor and he's like in the middle of his own thing and he can't talk about it, but he seems like he might be off fighting or something like that. And so like, I was hoping, I, I was like sure that Rex was going to come in in the finale me um, too, yeah. or that we maybe were going to find out what he was up to and that that was maybe going to tie into it. I also spent the whole season thinking that like, you know, the Kaminoans are up to something. They're maybe going to stage some sort of rebellion against the Empire with the clones and try to fight them off Kamino. And then that obviously never happened because the Empire sort of caught wind of it ahead of time and executed Lamassu. Um, and so it was just kind of like, oh, well, there goes that idea. And I mean, I liked it because it showed the ruthlessness of the Empire. So it wasn't like a bad story, you know, story thread or anything, but it was, it still kind of left me feeling like, wait, so are we, are we going to see any sort of like rebellion on Kamino or are we going to see some clones rise up against the empire, which we very well still may see at some point. There was just a lot of stuff that I thought they were building towards in this, in this first season that ended up not really coming to fruition. And so I did really like the story that they told in the finale, especially I I really liked the first part of the finale. The second part, again, I was kind of expecting to see Rex or or hoping to see some other stuff tie in. Um, And it ended up just being them on Camino the entire time. And so I wasn't really disappointed, but it was one of those things where at the end of it, you kind of just have to like check your expectations and be like, okay, that was a good episode for what it was. Didn't have everything that I was hoping we were going to see in it, but obviously they're uh, kind of playing more of a long game with this. Cause I also, I also thought that by the end of the season that we would get some sort of resolution with Crosshair, that he was either going to rejoin the squad or that he was going to, you know, die or, or whatever. Um, and there wasn't really much of a, a resolution there at the end. And so obviously that's something that's going to continue on in season two and beyond. And so, um, hopefully we get to see, you know, some of that other stuff that I mentioned, hopefully we see some of that, some more of that tie in later down the line. And, um, I don't know. I'd like to see maybe season two build more of like a, a sort of strong continuing narrative. Um, Cause I feel like, like, I don't know about you guys. I feel like the storytelling in bad batch was kind of like halfway between clone wars and rebels where like, 
you know, Clone Wars obviously was kind of all over the place, but at least, you know, in telling its own like separate stories, we got a lot of like three or four episode story arcs that connected to almost form their own little Star Wars movies where you got a very well fleshed out story about the Night Sisters or Mandalore or Mortis or whatever it was. Um, and then Rebels was obviously just one long continuing story about the ghost crew and, and their fight about against the Empire and trying to free Lothal and all that kind of stuff. And Bad Batch, like, you know, is more of a linear story. We're following the same group of characters every week. But then it did feel a little bit disjointed where it's like, okay, the, you know, we're going to have two episodes on Ryloth. And we got two episodes where Cad Bane and Fennec Shand are trying to kidnap Omega. And we got like, and it almost felt like that Clone Wars, like, story arc kind of structure. But because those individual stories were only like one or two episodes, we didn't get to like fully explore those stories and those characters as much as we would have in like a three or four episode arc in Clone Wars. But then they didn't really like gel together to really form a cohesive storyline. And like I said, there were times, you know, you'd get like two or three episodes that really built on something and then they'd kind of just drop that story thread and move on to something different. So I would just like it to feel a little bit more coherent in season two. And like I said, maybe pick up on some of that stuff um, that we didn't get resolutions on in season one. Um, but that could just be my own expectations too. Cause it was just stuff that, you know, was introduced that I thought we'd, we'd see come to fruition by the end of the season. Um, but there was a lot to love. Um, certainly a lot of episodes that I really enjoyed. And overall, I, I really liked this first season and I can't wait to see more of it. So, um, but yeah, let's, uh, I don't know. Was there anything you guys wanted to go into like in particular with the, with the finale, or are we going to start talking about favorite episodes or any of that kind of stuff? Well, should we just go into the big thing in the finale? I guess <laughs> that happened. Yeah, just, do it. Just, just, just lay it on us, Tim. We all know what it is for you. Uh, yeah. Goodbye to Poker City. Uh, <laughs> I'm just thankful there was no Death Star operational that otherwise Camino itself would be obliterated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that uh, that totally would have destroyed me. But man, seeing the uh, this adds to that tragedy of the clone wars era just the clone trooper story in general seeing topoka city destroyed after um, even just speaking from like a meta standpoint and like a real life scenario a planet that was introduced nearly 20 years ago in attack of the clones and quickly became one of my favorite star wars planet to my absolute favorite star wars planet just from the way it looks with the rainy weather it's then just going to a why is my favorite because of being the home of the clone troopers of who I love so much and the history that's there with them and spending, like I said, nearly 20 years with getting stories with that planet, not just from episode two, but from clone wars, um, comic books, animated, uh, previous animated series. It's just, there's just so much the history with Camino and in particular to city and just to see it just totally destroyed like that, not by, an invading force, but by the, you know, the clone troopers themselves. I mean, it was, you saw clones on the bridge of the, of the, I know it's not a Star Destroyer, but not yet anyway, uh, being ordered to fire onto Poca City. And then even in the finale, there's that one clone trooper who comes to report to Rampart saying, telling him the whole city has been destroyed and how hesitant he was. He kind of saw, you couldn't see his face because he's wearing the helmet, but you can feel the remorse that his home was been destroyed, destroyed by the clones. It was just, again, adds to that tragedy of the story, their fall, not fall, but being manipulated and used as pawns to 
betray and murder their Jedi generals, their friends, and now to destroy their home. And you should, if you haven't watched in a while, and after watching this finale, go back and watch the two, the season three premiere episodes of the Clone Wars, um, Clone Cadets and Arc Troopers. It just, besides being great episodes, they just, especially in Arc Troopers, it just drives home the point of just how important Camino is to the clones. When you hear mm-hmm. Captain Rex and Cody says, hey, if the Separatists are invading our home, they get, they better be prepared for a fight like they've never seen before to that effect. So just knowing how important it was to them and then to see it destroyed on screen, have it be destroyed by clones and the ships they've used during the Clone Wars, it's just, uh, <laughs> it was so beautifully done, but yet such heart, such heartbreaking to see <laughs> watching it for the first time. I couldn't believe that was happening because I always wanted to find out what happened to Camino and Topoca City during um, the during the Empire and just was what was it being still being used by the Empire? What happened to the Kaminoans? And to get the realization that it was totally destroyed and just kind of wiped out, and the Kaminoans, some of them, most of them, being taken out and being executed like Lama Su, and just how haunting it was seeing the empty halls of Topoka City, just nothing there. You saw the the birthing tubes empty. It was just, man, it's an eerie feeling to seeing it like that. And then you just see it all come crashing down. Uh, it was, like I said, painful to watch, but just so beautifully done. And this, again, adds to that tragedy of the Clone Wars era and their story that this is kind of the final stamp on that, the end of an era truly uh, for the clones and the Clone Wars era ending with the destruction of Topoka City. So just to see that visualized, um, yeah, it was just really impactful, to be honest. I wasn't expecting to be as be as impactful, to have an impactful effect on me as it did as I was watching it. And it was just really struck a chord. And it was just, uh, man, <laughs> something that, like I said at the tease of when we're talking about the discussion, a historic moment for the Star Wars timeline, um, seeing a big part of its history, the Clone Wars, um, kind of be officially brought to an end like that. And to me, it also goes hand in hand nicely with showing that tragedy with the final shot of the Clone Wars, that clone trooper helmet that Rex and Ahsoka used for the burial of those clone troopers. Seeing the reflection of Vader walking away of the Empire, showing what they Mm -hmm. fought for turned into that. And you just compare that to what's seeing their home destroyed. It just, again, adds to that whole uh, story of just how sad it is that Palpatine used the clones for their one purpose and just kind of shoved them aside as uh, not being useful anymore, but then just kind of destroying it, any legacy they had too, of their home being a big part of that legacy. And it's now gone. So yeah, it was just a big moment um, for the series, obviously. And I was, like I said, I was hoping the series would dive into this and they really dove into it. And I couldn't be happier that uh, we did get a story that told us what happened to Camino and to Polka City and just showing the end of the Clone Wars like that. So it was great and just so well done and just wouldn't expect anything less from the Lucas and Lucasfilm animation crew. They just did a spectacular job um, telling the story and just visualizing it because it looked amazing. It just could sometimes you couldn't even tell if you're watching a movie or not. It was just that good. So hats off to everyone involved with delivering such a big impactful moment in the Star Wars history. Yeah, I think for me, the the ending was really impactful because what you're saying, I mean, you said it beautifully there, by the way, Tim. I love how passionate you really are. No, seriously, how passionate you are for that 
that planet and and those characters and you love clones that's that's your thing it's always been your thing since i've known you and and that's the one thing i i think that we as as fans have always kind of wondered you know is all all the stuff that happened off screen what happened and and, and obviously with with george you know he wanted to keep it loose and and free and and I think I'm not sure what what they how they explain it in the in the in the EU, but obviously in the new canon, they're trying to keep some consistency as much as they can, obviously. And so you eventually have to tell that tale, right? You eventually have to explain what happened to Camino and the clones and things like that. And what I love is I've I've heard people that I I opinions I respect. Uh, say that it, the Bad Batch is just another Clone Wars, which is not a bad or a good thing. It's just kind of like it's just what it is. And I, I, I understand that it's kind of a criticism. It's also for me a good thing. Um, but I think what's cool about it for me is that, like you were saying, how 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 you got to see. It, it was bummer for you, but it was interesting to see what happened to Camino afterwards. It was interesting to see how they're they're wrapping up and showing us the literal transition of stormtroopers. Oh, from clone troopers to stormtroopers, and we see it, it all basically, uh, in my opinion, come to a head with the destruction of that city of Camino and the whole original uh, place of the clones. And so, for me, it's like, oh man, what happened to the Caminoans? They, they just kind of like just go got money and we just ran off. That seems kind of weird because wouldn't they yeah. come back and do like another clone army to take on that clone army? I mean, technically, you could do that. Well, it make you figure the you know, obviously just like the Genosians, which I thought was a another great idea what they did with that with those characters. Well, not great, meaning genocide is never a good thing, right? But you <laughs> yes. get what I'm saying. Like, like give give me you're giving me something that's gonna at least get. Uh, it explains where they are in the timeline and what happened to them. And the comedians are, are no different. And I think it's great to see the, the treachery and, and the evil that is the empire. And, and you get to see it firsthand what they're doing. And I think that to see that, you know, again, ironically clone you know, era ships destroy Camino is just interesting. And so I just love that fact that we've got this, uh, uh, kind of a, a, an ex explanation of what's going on in in with the, with these uh, important characters that George Lucas is kind of was like oh we got to take care of I mean like he kind of threw it out there but the but the bad batch and and having them be this conduit of these uh, this way of telling the story of explaining the stormtroopers to you know from clone troopers to stormtroopers and you can see the literal destruction of of the Caminos and the, and the clones world themselves so I thought it was a, a, a very you know beautiful ending it looked amazing it was very tragic um, and, and one thing that I want you guys haven't talked about and I'm sure I haven't seen very much on it but I'm sure people have already brought it up but I think it's very cool how they you never see at least I don't remember seeing Camino in daytime and the sun's out and that is the only time you've seen it or see it it's in uh clone you know the end of bad batch after the the destruction of the city we do see was, it once in a clone wars episode in the arc troopers episode where you're right, the separatists okay. attack Camino yeah, that's right. but that's even right. then like it's not all dark and stormy but I'm pretty sure it's still cloudy like I think yeah. this is I think this is the first time that we've seen not date not just daytime on Camino but seen it with like a completely like bright That's blue, what I mean. sunny sky. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, like there's no clouds. It's a it's a completely different looking planet now in in the daytime and slash with no clouds like like, like Kyle was saying. So it was 
I thought it was very. I love the, the the fact it went from this dark, broody thing to like now it's like a new dawn. It's a new era mm-hmm. because you know, the clouds are gone, and it leaves the heroes leave. You know the light leaves the the villain with the light. You know with a crosshair. So it was really cool. I love the storytelling, the the, the 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 thematic storytelling and the visual storytelling they're doing there. Thought it was very interesting and cool. So yeah, I. I I loved all of that. That to me, it, it justifies keep keeping the series going, in my opinion. And, and man, Omega, like you're my brother too, Crosshair. Oh, yeah. oh, <laughs> God, ah, oh, it's so good. So yeah. good. I love Omega. I love her too. She definitely has been, um, I don't know, probably the biggest overall highlight of the season for me, and definitely the Absolutely. biggest surprise going into it. Because I mean, you know, at first like we knew kind of what to expect with the bad batch i will say i like i i like all of them as characters more in this series than like in the arc we saw them in in clone wars um you know like when the season or when the show was first announced and a lot of people were like really like the bad batch of all the characters you could focus on for a new animated series like you know they're cool in that clone wars arc but like do we really need a whole series about them and i was a little bit more excited than some people but i also was like eh, yeah that wouldn't have been my first pick to do a, a show about them. But then like, you know, as we get into the series and, and you just get to see these guys more, I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. Like, this is a fun group. They definitely flesh out their personalities and their relationships and stuff more in this show than they did in Clone Wars. So they certainly made it like worth the investment. But I think, again, the biggest surprise was Omega and, uh, you know, us not knowing coming into this, like who she was or what the deal was with her or anything. But, um, I thought it was just a really cool concept to have, you know, a a young girl who's a clone who is like Boba and doesn't age twice as fast. And so, uh, you know, she gets to kind of be like a little sister to these guys, but also, you know, kind of trying to fit in and be part of the squad. Um, And who's actually older, as we (laughs) found out. Yeah, yeah, which is weird. I don't quite get how the math works out on that because she also (laughs) seems younger than Boba because Boba's like 13, 14 at this point. And Omega seems like she's like 10. And so... That would mean that the Bad Batch, if they age exactly twice as fast as she does, that they're all like teenagers almost, unless Omega is older than she looks. But also like, I don't know, it's just one of those things where you kind of have to just kind of like suspend your disbelief. And it's like, okay, I'm sure there's obviously some explanation for it that we just don't have and maybe we're not going to get. Like maybe they age a little bit more than just twice as fast or maybe with the Bad Batch in particular because they had their you know, deficiencies or, you know, their, um, I don't know, their, their defects that they, yeah. yeah, yeah. Their defects that they wanted to kind of, uh, you know, morph into like, you know, abilities that they could use on the battlefield. Maybe they accelerated their growth even more. Maybe they're from like one of the most recent batches of clones, but the Kaminoans Cam- were like, oh, these guys are special. We got to get them combat ready ASAP. And they aged them up even faster. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it was just cool to see them all, you know, sort of build that relationship and that dynamic with Omega with her being, um, you know, even being so new to like the galaxy as a whole, right? Like, you know, even though she's older than them and has watched them grow up, she's lived on Camino her whole life. And so like, I loved, you know, the beginning of the season where we get to see her like experience dirt for the first time and experience space travel for the first time. Um, and, you know, just seeing her uh, experiencing all those firsts and exploring the galaxy and just kind of her her wide eyed, um, you know, just sort of adventurous spirit and her desire to be a part of the squad. I mean, I will say this and I forget if I said this the last time we talked about the show on our last episode, but I feel like 
out of all the the kid characters that they've done for these animated series, so like, you know, with Ahsoka and Ezra, um, I guess there weren't really any kids in Star Wars Resistance, but... Um, oh, there were. I mean... There were. <laughs> technically speaking, I'm, I'm talking about children, not people that act yeah, childish. There were. Um, there were, too. Th th those little kids, remember? The, oh, the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. I'm thinking like main characters, though, right? Like where, where Ahsoka, Ahsoka and Ezra and Omega are all supposed to be, gotcha. you know, kind I, of the, the character that the younger viewers can connect to and kind of experience the right. Star Wars galaxy through the lens of this character that's more their age. Um, I think Omega is the best out of those three in terms of like their introduction and development over absolutely. the course of the first oh, yeah, season. Oh yeah, without question. Um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously Ahsoka is, you know, one of my star favorite Star Wars characters of all time, but she got off to a bit of a rocky start and I would say so did Ezra. Um, but Omega, I think, endeared herself to the fans from day one. And, um, you know, she just, she's very, very sweet and charming. And like the times when she does want to try to jump in and help, she like... You know, you can tell it comes from a very earnest place and it doesn't come from being like cocky because like Ahsoka and Ezra would both do that because they're a little bit older because they're teenagers. They'd kind of have that swagger like, oh, I know what I'm doing. I, I know you told me not to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway because I can handle myself. And then they get their butt kicked and it's like, no, you couldn't do that. Um, whereas Omega's not trying to do that. Like she doesn't have an ego. She doesn't really have like a brashness to her. She just has a big heart and like a really... Uh, eager desire to help and to be a part of the squad and to to do whatever she can to to help out her brothers and um, you know just be part of the team and so I really love that um, and she was you know just just a joy to watch and so I can't wait to see more of her. You know, Omega is one of those characters that I think that you sum it up best, Kyle. That she she's not cocky. She just does what needs to be done and does just does it and. There's not doesn't second guess herself to to an extent. It is she's confident but not obnoxious about it. It's it all is believable. She's she's had to work towards you know her like 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 the bow is a great example. She wasn't just natural crack shot. It took a little bit of time to get that to get there. But now again, there's that progression, and there's just a genuine, uh, such a genuine. Uh, uh, attitude with her that is so hard to get off in, into characters and with her her genuine love for her brothers and for for everybody for I mean, when she goes like risk her life for az like you believe it like that's just yeah. who she is she, yeah, she right valued yeah. which yeah, by the way that that thing that freaked me out because like and and i came to really like az too i mean i liked him in clone wars but he's one of those characters that like kind of starts out kind of annoying and then kind of like becomes endearing yeah. Um, and I, I like seeing him pop up again in Bad Batch, but like in the final episode, I was fully prepared to lose one of the squad. I was like, somebody's not yeah. surviving this mm -hmm. escape off of Camino. And then as they all get in the tubes and, you know, AZ's like, um, you know, I barely have any power left, but I have enough to ensure you all get to the surface safely. Um, I was like, oh, so that's going to be the sacrifice. We're going to lose AZ. Um, I'm okay with that. Like, I'll be sad, but, but I'm okay <laughs> with that. And we're like, the rest sacrifice of the squad's going to be fine. And so when he power when he powers off and he starts falling away, I'm like, oh, there he goes. Like, you know, AZ made the heroic sacrifice. And then Omega jumps in after him. And I was like, crap. 
somebody's now gonna like jump in after her and like save Omega, but then they're gonna get hit by some falling debris and then they're gonna drown and like somebody's gonna die because the kid jumped back in to save her droid. Like, and then of course everything was fine and I, I calmed down, but like I was freaking out when she jumped out. I was like, no, get back in the tube. He died to save you. You gotta get out safely. So yeah, yeah, that and, was and that was a, that was a stressful end of that episode. Yeah, and and but all of that comes off so genuine, and it doesn't come off across like oh we have to have more drama. It's just so yeah. natural character, and I think that's the thing I think that I love so much about Omega is that, and I still think there's something more to her. I hope there is. There's something, especially we talked about earlier, right? Like the fact that like the, these ideas of themes and like we are who we are and, and sometimes you can't change, you know, or like, again, like crosshair, like takes this chip out and he's still, you know, he, he says, this is who I am. He's, you can obviously see him struggling, you know, which again, it's good drama, but I love the fact they're playing on the ideas of like, you know, what makes who you are and like, you know, what, just because someone's different, does that, what does that mean? And all these different things. And I, I think with Omega, I really do want her to have force abilities. I just think they'd be so rad and so, anti what we have all thought and like, you know, argued against of George and like the Metachlorian, blah, 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 blah. Like, I think it'd be so cool if the force was an Omega. Not, not saying like she's tied to this whole idea of like, you know, why we have to have clones and whatever, but like it brings the idea of natural order of, of the force chooses to where to go. And I, th I just think it'd be really cool to have her as a, as a powerful character like that. I mean, she already is a, a powerful character. I think just as an impactful character, it just stinks too. Like you, you create such a great character that is so far back in the timeline. Like what, how much significance will she have going forward? It remains to be seen, but I, I think she's fantastic. And I really hope that maybe they bring her back sometime or she does something in, in the universe that is su super rad and cool. And that we keep developing the character because they've done a phenomenal job building her up and it'd be very, I, I don't think they're going to waste her either, especially with the end of the, of the, of the season, right? With the fact that they're going towards, uh, again, the whole baby Yoda thing with the whole cloners and, and that, that whole idea. So, and how that will eventually probably turn into Snoke and things like that. So they're definitely setting it up in, in the groundwork, which again, is using everything, the sequel trilogy, the Mandalorian. I, I, that to me is where star Wars, I think, can really benefit the fact is, is having all somewhat of a cohesive, somewhat of a cohesive universe is you can start building off these things and make them all tie together. And, I, and even though it may not be like a slam dunk, you know, sequel trilogy, everyone, per, you know, hands down loves it. You can still treat it like it exists and don't ignore it and, and, and try to deepen those things. And I think that the more you deepen the things in gasp, the last Jedi or my personal favorite rise of Skywalker. But, but seriously, I've said it before, Using these things in these shows will only benefit in hindsight and make those things when our kids go and watch them and go, oh, yeah, like that thing is like th those things in Bad Batcher and Mandalorian, which turns into Stoke and it gets it, it makes it all more fun and cohesive and all, you know, more fun to kind of talk about and revisit, regardless if we all liked where the story went the first time. If you enhance the story, what's around, if you enhance the stories that are around it, it will only make that those movies better. Look at the prequels, the Clone Wars, great examples, right? I've, I've said it time and time again, you know, whatever. And I think that the Bad Batch has started doing that already with the Mandalorian and then what Mandalorian's already doing with the sequel trilogy. So really cool stuff here. 
that I think that, that, that again, something like the Bad Batch can only enhance, and it is enhancing. I just pray Omega is has some... I mean, she doesn't need uh, validity right now. She's a great character, but I would love to get her more substantial time and, and meaning in the Star Wars, the greater Star Wars universe, because she's such, such a great character. Yeah. Oh, I well, think the, that's a given. The, 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 a, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Tim. No, just, it's just a matter of time before we see her. I, I think we're going to see her in live action either. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's going to be the first season of the Book of Boba Fett, but if that show gets multiple seasons, I think she's definitely showing up in there. They're already kind of teasing the obviously her big connection with Boba and being the Alpha, her being the Omega. I just think they have to meet and confront each other at some point. And maybe that'll be in a later season of The Bad Batch, but I think it'd also be amazing if it's in the book of Boba Fett, if it gets multiple seasons. Man, that would be crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, even what you're talking about with force sensitivity, because that was a theory that a lot of people had earlier in the season. And then we kind of figure out that like the the thing about her that makes her special is that she's an unaltered clone like Boba, but also, you know, the Kaminoans at the beginning talk about her being an enhanced clone and that, you know, she's one of the five enhanced clones of the Bad Batch, not Echo, who's, you know, doesn't have enhancements. And so I can't help but wonder if maybe there's still something about her that we're going to have revealed later. Um, Especially, like you said, with the way that they're going with, like, Nala Se being taken by the Empire and... Uh, working with that one lady that's wearing the same outfit as Dr. Pershing from The Mandalorian, and they're working on Baby Yoda and trying to clone midi-chlorians. And so maybe she, you know, maybe Nalase did know something about cloning force sensitivity, and maybe that was something that had to do with Omega. And um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, even, even if she's not, I still love the character just the way that she is. And I think She's just a really fun and engaging character to watch just because of her her personality and, you know, just her compassion and her um, sort of her intuition and how quickly she picks up on things and, you know, learns new skills and, and becomes a, a useful member of the squad. So I just, you know, I, I can't wait to see what happens next with her character regardless. But also there is a lot of interesting potential stuff set up with Nala Se and the Empire and what they could potentially be up to with cloning and that could be something uh, that maybe plays a big role in season two, but that also probably is something that's going to, you know, tie in further down the line into Mandalorian and uh, maybe even Ahsoka. And, you know, remember they talked about all of that stuff culminating in one big event. And I'm sure you guys have seen the the fan theories going around online because that episode ends with um, it's confirmed on the concept art for the episode that that mountain fortress that the Empire takes Nala Se to is Mount Tantis on Wayland which is a place in, uh, you know, from Legends and the Heir to the Empire trilogy. And so it's like, you know, and we know Ahsoka is going after Thrawn in her show. And so the big event that all the Mandalorian and all that stuff in that timeline is building towards could basically be like Dave Filoni's retelling and refitting into canon (laughs) some sort of uh, Heir to the Empire type story. Um and it's interesting because I, I mean, I was kind of reading up on some stuff and sort of refreshing my memory on all this stuff that's happened like since uh, Empire or since Return of the Jedi, as far as the Empire and them, you know, like the Battle of Jakku and them going off into the unknown regions and like all that stuff has happened before the Mandalorian. Um, so you know, the the Empire as we know it, or at least you know from the movies and the the ones that 
like uh, Admiral Sloan and all the like Imperial remnant that went off into the unknown regions and became the First Order is already gone. But there's obviously still some faction of Imperial remnant that's still there with Moff Gideon and all those guys. So maybe Thrawn is going to come back and organize whatever is left of that empire and try to take over the galaxy again or try to fight the New Republic. And we are going to get some kind of story like that. So, um, and I don't know, honestly, I haven't read Heir to the Empire, so I don't know all this stuff about like the, the Joris Sabouth or whatever that guy is. Oh, and like God, the, yeah. the clone of Luke and all that. And so I, I'm not a fan of that because I'm like, as much as I love the clone troopers and Camino and, and all that stuff, typically, you know, like, like Palpatine or Snoke, you know, when you've got dead characters and they're like, oh, we cloned them and brought them back to life. I hate that stuff usually. So, um, you oh, know, part know. of me is part of me is not super <laughs> excited for that. But um, oh yeah, no, and I'm not just talking about from Rise of Skywalker. This goes all the way back to like the Force Unleashed two, where we're like, you know, Star Killer died in the first game, but we need to make a second game to make money. So how about we clone him? Um, it's just, ugh, it's I I hate when they use that just as a cheap tactic to like, you know, this character's gone, but we want to milk more out of the story. So it's just like a lazy excuse to bring characters back, which is also what they did in Rise of Skywalker. Um, but <laughs> I was to get it in there. <laughs> you, you, you know what? If you want me to, if you want me to open the can of worms on Last Jedi, we'd be more than happy to do that, sir. We're talking specifically about cloning here. There's nobody. There's nobody in Last Jedi where they went. Somehow this person returned, but that's a discussion for another day. Um, <sighs> Regardless, I'm just saying I'm I don't necessarily need them to go into all this cloning and and can we clone Jedi and is there a clone of Luke? I mean, some people are even thinking like, oh, is this you know because the Luke and the Mandalorian is so different oh, God, from the Luke and the Last no. Jedi? Yeah, there's oh, some no, people are thinking no. that like, oh, is, are they going to reveal that that Luke is a clone? And I'm like, no, that would be the worst idea in the history of bad ideas. Um, <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I think I just think there's a there's a lot of interesting potential there with, you know, them reintegrating stuff from Legends with Thrawn obviously probably coming back in the Ahsoka series. Um oh, there's also been some news going around too about, you know, them casting Sabine for the Ahsoka series which um again is like, you know, and that's been going around as a rumor like, oh, it's oh, I think it was in like a Variety article or something like that where they were talking about like Loki or some other Disney Plus stuff and they mentioned the Mandalorian and the Star Wars stuff and said that, you know, they're currently casting a Sabine for, for season or for the, the Ahsoka series, which again is like, if we know this is Ahsoka in live action taking place after Rebels and she's looking for Thrawn, I think it was already a foregone conclusion that Sabine and Ezra are going to be in that as well. Um, but I'm interested to see who they cast and I'm looking forward to seeing those guys make the jump to live action too. But yeah, to see all of that culminate in some big story with Thrawn that draws some air to the Empire would be really cool. And to see them kind of start planting the seeds for that here, I think is pretty neat. And I can't wait to see where all that pays off way down the line and also maybe what they're, they've got planned for it in, um, you know, season two of, uh, of the Bad Batch. But I don't know. It, there's obviously tons of possibilities and I'm looking forward to seeing where they go with all this stuff. I think yeah. that with Tim, go ahead, please go. No, I was going to say something really small dealing with stuff with the cloning and the empire, having that technology. Now how they took everything they needed from Topoka city and the Kaminoans and got rid of them. But yet now 
all that cloning secrets and technologies all in the hands of the empire. And obviously, like you're saying, Kyle, I think we are going to get those connective tissues to fill in the gaps as far as uh, Palpatine and then Snoke and all that. But it also just made me think of that line that Kylo Ren says in The Force Awakens, where he's just saying, talking to General Hux, they're just saying, uh, perhaps we should have used a clone army. And it just makes mm-hmm. me think how we know where he gets that information from. They have the archives of the Empire. He mentions that. And I just think he just did a full-blown history lesson on <laughs> cloning technology, the Clone Wars, and just everything they have at their disposal if they wanted to. And when he says that, um, it's I'm just thinking that he has what Rampart took in those final moments in the finale there where he was the empire had that cloning technology and it's lasted to the first order, not where they used it, but it was there if they wanted to. And it just all stemmed from that moment that we saw when Taboka city was destroyed and the empire took it from themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think personally, if they were going to do some kind of variation of adapting air to the empire with the Mandalorian characters, I think it's pretty genius be quite honest i mean i don't think you obviously don't do verbatim but bringing in ideas of because uh, unlike you kyle i love rise of skywalker i love the fact they bring someone back randomly from the dead like that because again goes back to my comic book roots and how things can be changed in, in just one issue the whole mythos can be to be upheld and, and out of nowhere and I, I love that that uh this kind of uh, idea, and now, now, granted, not that's not everyone's cup of tea. I get it, but regardless, I like the fact that cloning is still a big part of the Star Wars universe, and it's still a thing. I think what's even cooler is that I think what if you're adapting that story, you could also be adapt. You can use that to, I think, uh, inform the sequel trilogy and how you can get a Palpatine and how that you know why he's able to clone himself and he exists right. But why he's withering away, kind of an idea, right? So that Kaboth guy or whatever his name is, that whole shenanigans, if they explain that, maybe they can explain why this this guy looks super old. Well, you know, they can start better explaining why maybe Palpatine's, you know, that way. And though Rise of Skywalker, you know, spent a lot of time trying to explain those things and which I thought was fine in the way they did it. Now everyone everyone a lot of people wanted PowerPoint presentations of exactly how everything's breaking down. And maybe this is the way they do it. You get you get your power your PowerPoint presentation of what exactly happens and and how what happens in these Mandalorian series with this idea of of this adapting to the Zon trilogy the original one and again I say adapting loosely borrowing a lot of elements from there and I think it's smart I think taking a lot of those elements and adapting it for those fans who love that series and there's a lot of love for that and I think that there's lots of great stuff you could take from there so if that really is it which I think is there's a lot of validity there I think it's smart. And I think it's smart for, I think, selling it to all those EU fans is smart for a lot of different reasons. But for me, the main one is, I think, to inform, I think, help inform and, and, and really better lay out the sequel trilogy as a whole as where it stands now. And I think doing that, you could do a lot of great things by adapting that to that story. So I'm, yeah. I'm all in. I don't I know that's, that's accurate, but I'm all in on it. No. And, and to be clear, like, I'm all for that, too. Like, I mean, you guys know if you've listened you know, to the show before, like I have plenty of issues with the rise of Skywalker and Palpatine is not the only one, but like if they want to go and, and flesh out that story more and add stuff in the Mandalorian and bad batch that makes it make sense that Palpatine actually was working, you know, that this was his master plan the whole time and, and 
sort of add more stuff that builds into that and makes it feel like the culmination of something and rather than something that they just kind of threw in randomly. Like, I'm all for that. I love that connective tissue and that, um, you know, even again, like you, you mentioned, Tim, like the way that Clone Wars did that for the prequel trilogy. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, even stuff that they kind of started teasing us with in Mandalorian season two, where like they find that Imperial base with like the the things in the tanks that kind of look like Snoke clones. Like I'm all about that. So, um, yeah, hopefully we'll get to see more of that kind of stuff going forward. And uh, yeah, we'll see where this all leads if they do do a big Thrawn event or something like that. Um but, um, yeah, well, I guess, so one other big element of the sort of the, the season and the finale that we haven't really talked about yet is Crosshair and kind of that resolution as far as his arc throughout the series and the fact that, you know, we do eventually find out that even though he initially followed the Empire because of his inhibitor chip, like in the episodes where they're on uh, Bracca and he gets, you know, burned with that engine, like that damaged his inhibitor chip and he got it taken out. And um, he still continues to follow the Empire. And, you know, when they have that confrontation on Camino, he's like, yeah, I had my chip out, taken out a long time ago. And I'm doing this just because this is who I am and this is what I believe in. Um, and I really like that twist. And I like the just sort of some of that dialogue and um, sort of that that squad dynamic with them still being at odds. And I think that's something really interesting and fun for them to play with moving forward. One thing I do really want to see is now that Crosshair has his inhibitor chip out, um, and now that the Empire basically left him for dead on Kamino and, like, tried to kill him. Like, they weren't trying to kill him specifically, but, like, they fired on Topoka City knowing he was still there. Um... And I think they, I think Rampart even said at the beginning of that episode, he's like, let the, like, he's like, if the plan fails, let the clone die with his brothers. Like they were more than willing to let Crosshair die. And he still is fully loyal to them and still believes that like, that the empire is right, that they're the most powerful, that they're going to rule the galaxy. But also that, you know, even though he sees them discarding the regs, that because he is this elite trooper and, and because he can prove himself to be useful, that he'll still get to kind of have a seat at the table and be part of this grand imperial regime. Um, but yeah, like just between the way that they treat the clone troopers and then the fact that they leave him for dead and, uh, you know, they're they're willing to kill him and leave him stranded there with the rest of the Bad Batch. I'm like, it's getting a little hard to believe that he would still be that loyal to them. And so, you know, and obviously, like, we saw the scenes at the beginning of this, the season where the other stormtroopers were talking about, like, you know, the reasons why they follow the Empire and how life under the Empire is better for them than it was under the Republic and stuff. And so you can get why, uh, you know, some people throughout the galaxy would be okay with the Empire and why they would enlist and sign up. But for uh, Crosshair as a clone and just seeing the things that he's seen... I'm like, I'm starting to need a little bit more of an explanation as to why after all this, especially after all the stuff in the finale, like, why is he still loyal to the Empire with no chip or anything? Um, you know, what does he see in them or, or what does he really think is going to be his role in all this that makes him so, you know, so stubborn and so unwilling to turn from that and so fiercely loyal to them? Um so I hope we see more of that going forward. And like I said, I thought that we were going to get a resolution to the whole crosshair thing at the end of the season, but clearly they're setting that up to be a long, you know, kind of a slow burn. Like that's going to be the ongoing conflict through this entire series where, you know, towards the end of this, they, I feel like they all kind of come to a bit more of an understanding, like the Bad Batch maybe understand crosshair's perspective a little bit more as to why he's staying there. And, um, 
you know, you, you even see that like he was, he's kind of hurt by the fact that they left him, you know, he's like, I'm going to give you yeah. a chance, which you guys never gave me. And like, you know, like, especially the fact that when he first joined the empire, he didn't have a choice because it was, you know, him just doing what the inhibitor chip told him to do. And he's like, Hey, you guys just left me. And like, not that the bad batch really had much of a choice. Cause like he was trying to kill them. Um, you know, it's like they couldn't have really done anything different. Like, I don't think they were in the wrong, but at least you understand his perspective and you can understand why he feels kind of hurt and betrayed that his brothers just, you know, ditched him. Um, and you know, that kind of, you understand now why, like there's certain episodes throughout the season where they would kind of end on a shot of Crosshair being all like dark and ominous and taking orders from the empire and stuff. And then he would end with this just sort of like somber look on his face and you're like man i wonder what's going through his mind and now it's like oh i bet it was him you know thinking about his squad and kind of wishing that he could be with them and even though he has orders to to kill them or capture them or take them in and even though they're on opposing sides he still wishes that they could all be together just as much as they do um and so yeah and then even just like when they leave and and omega says to him like hey you're still their brother and you're my brother too um you know, just setting up a very interesting dynamic there where like they're they're kind of set up to be long term enemies, like they're still on opposite sides and they're staying on their opposite sides. But I also feel like they kind of came back together a little bit in those last couple episodes. So, um, yeah, very interested to see like what the long game is that they're playing with him. I think he is going to have some sort of redemptive arc and I think Omega is going to be key to it. Um because as much as he like argues with Hunter and, and Wrecker and all those guys, like I think Omega is the only one that can really kind of get through to him. Um, and anytime she says something to him about, you know, him being brothers with the rest of them or about, you know, kind of being disappointed in his choice to stay with the Empire, you can see it kind of affects him a little bit more than um, than when he's just arguing with the other guys. And obviously he's the one that, that saves her at the end. Um, so, yeah, I thought I just think I mean, I think overall uh, you know, Crosshair's sort of development as a character and that conflict between him and the rest of the squad was kind of one of the most interesting aspects of the whole show over the course of the first season. Um, and, you know, aside from like Omega's growth and development, I think that's the the thing that probably all of us are most looking forward to moving forward and, and seeing how that eventually gets resolved uh, by the end of the series. Yeah, I absolutely love the stuff with Crosshair in the finale and just his arc in general. Um, I said it back when the premiere, how I was not expecting them to go in this direction where he wouldn't be part of the group and he would be on his own with the Empire kind of as the antagonist throughout the course of the series. And then to have it culminate into what we got in these uh, last two episodes, I just thought was phenomenal, especially his confrontation with Hunter um, when he was luring the rest of his brothers into that trap back to the training facility on Camino um, that we saw in the premiere and obviously in the clone cadets episode, um, just having to kind of bring it all back home uh, to with his, with his brothers there one last time to try to see if he can get them to join him. And I just love the bit of dialogue he had and the performance by D Bradley Baker was, I just thought was really great. The emotion he brought out in crosshair who doesn't um, really have a lot of emotion or shows a lot of emotion in the way he talks, but you did feel the hurt that he had when he was telling Hunter that you betrayed everything you stood for. You, you left me, you abandoned me. Like you really felt the pain in his voice. And just that even though it was kind of a warped point of view of how he viewed things, uh, obviously saying with the empire, you could kind of understand in his own way why he felt the way he did. And he wasn't wrong to an extent where 
they could have they had to leave Camino in that instance, but maybe they could have tried to come back for him at a later point um, before they ran to each other, ran into each other again on Brocco. So there are different things that he said in the dynamic in that uh, confrontation he had with Hunter there that just threw a new layer of thinking is how you view Crosshair as a character. I just thought these two episodes did a phenomenal job of that. I just loved what they did with him and uh, seeing that helmet <laughs> and so many great shots in those finales was great. Another tragedy of the episode, I think the helmet went down with Topoka City and it's lost in the ocean now. So uh, maybe some scavenger can go dig it up and find it somewhere down the line because Crosshair needs, either needs to get that back or make a new one that looks exactly like it because that helmet is just amazing. Um, so yeah, I loved everything with Crosshair in this finale and it's not the whole season. I think he was his character arc might have been the one that I enjoyed to see play out the most throughout the course of the season. And I don't know, maybe I'm not remembering a bit of dialogue, but I kind of felt it was left a little open-ended at the very end to whether or not he was just going to rejoin or regroup with the Empire after all this. I kind of got the impression that he might just be going on his own uh, where he can't go back with his brothers, but at the same time he knows what how the Empire views him and the clones in general were just leaving him to die with Camino. So again, not sure if I'm not remembering a particular line of dialogue that where he specifically says or hints that he's just going back to the Empire. But part of me thinks he might just be going his own and kind of figuring out things on his own for a while. And we'll see how that interacts with the rest of the Bad Batch and maybe even against with the Empire as well. So I'm just not too sure if that's something that's definite where he's just going to regroup with the empire and he's going to continue to cross paths with the bad bats throughout the course of season two. Cause I do feel that would be kind of redundant and would put him in for some situations that would hard to be hard to maintain for over the course of the season. I just think it would be more interesting if he is just on his own and he crosses paths with the bad batch and helps them on certain occasions. And then on certain occasions, maybe he's going to be working against them for his own interests, uh, which might prove more interesting than just him being with the empire again. So, I don't know. We'll see. But um, I'm just excited to see his story or continue after where things left off in this finale. Yeah, I'd have to go back and watch that again. But I thought he said like the Empire was going to come like he was expecting the Empire to come back for him or something like that. Or I mean, certainly all their conversations throughout the episode, you know, he's talking about why he still believes in the Empire and stuff. Um, I just think maybe at that moment where he saves Omega and which kind of what she says to him at the end might have triggered something to where Mm -hmm. maybe that's not something he's going to end up doing after all. Yeah, maybe. I'll have to go watch that ending again and see if there's there's anything else that he says there. I mean, that would be interesting to see him off, you know, off kind of doing his own thing. But I feel like if he was ready to turn away from the Empire, then he would kind of go back with the squad. Because I feel like that's kind of the main reason why they're still at odds is like he believes in the Empire and they don't. And because he's part of the Empire, he still has to view them as like traitors and fugitives and... um you know, people that are disloyal to the Empire. Like if Crosshair were to walk away from the Empire too, I don't think there's a whole lot that would keep him from rejoining the squad. Yeah, that's true too. Unless again, like he's still feeling hurt and betrayed for them leaving him or for them leaving him on Camino. But at the same time, they just had this uh, bonding moment, so to speak, where they made their escape from Camino and he kind of connected a little bit with Omega, which would make you think he would join up with them. So yeah, I can see that too. But again, real quick, another great moment, too, is just seeing all five of them uh, fight together again against the uh, Dark Troopers. 
uh, or the pre-Dark Troopers, I should say. <laughs> that was just great seeing them all in action, especially because I rewatched the premiere uh, last weekend after the finale to see how great that first action sequence was on the Camino training facility. And then just seeing all that happen again in the finale to seeing them work together was just great stuff. Yeah, definitely. That was a really cool moment. As far as me and the crosshair thing, I I said a little bit about it, but I, I'm kind of more on the lines of I think he's going back to the Empire. I think he's I think he's made his like like Kyle said, he kind of said something about I, I could have sworn I, I heard him say, you know, he he's kind of sold out to the Empire as far as as right now. He's his pride's getting the best of him. I think if he would have ever right now proving um, you know, Hunter wrong is is more important to him than than anything, even if right or wrong, I think I think Pride's going to be the ultimate uh, driver at this point. I don't think he's going to leave on his own. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of where I see it going, but um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, it would be interesting if maybe he does leave the Empire at some point, but then kind of go off on his own. Um, and yeah, I don't know. There's there's a lot of interesting stuff they can do with his character. But um, yeah, he's also definitely one of the highlights of this first season. And uh, like I said, one of the most interesting aspects going forward into season two to see where they ultimately go with his character. Um, I would love it if he's the one who takes out Rampart, though, because uh, I can't oh, wait to see yeah. him go down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> After everything uh, he's done, he's said about the clones. It's like uh, a clone better be the one to take him down. <laughs> That's all. Oh, I'm I for. think it has to be. I would love to have it to you know see it be like Hauser, um, but if it is Crosshair, I mean, how cool would it be for him to even if he stays with the Empire for a while longer, for mm-hmm. him to finally kind of see the error of his ways and to see. Um, how evil the Empire is. And he like, you know, just shoots Rampart in the back and says like, that was for Kamino or something like that. Um, Yeah, that would be really cool to see. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean that, you know, that's pretty much all the stuff from the finale. Um, Any other thoughts on the season overall or, you know, just favorite moments you guys want to talk about or anything like that? Um, I'll just say just kind of closing thoughts on the series as a whole. Just, how unexpected amazing this was because i just can't help but think about going to celebration anaheim in 2015 looking at the panel and saying oh they're gonna have a special one on an uh, unfinished clone wars arc about the bad batch yeah i've heard of dave flown kind of talk about that in the premise hey it's more clone wars it's, it'll be cool to see and then we got to see it um at that panel it was great it was really cool just not thinking much of it at the time as far as it ever being finished let alone have it these characters show up in their own series and so just to think about sitting in that room seeing those being introduced to the, those characters for the first time in unfinished animation to where we're at now with this really great finale this really great first season and speaking of unfinished animation being introduced being the introduction of these characters to now to where they're in the most beautiful animation that we've ever seen grace the tv screens mm-hmm. with these characters is just crazy to think about how how far we've come over these last six years being introduced to them for the first time so i just think this series is a big win for star wars and lucasfilm animation and just fits very nicely in continuing that strong legacy of star wars animation that began with the clone wars and yeah i just really loved the season i was probably one of the most excited Star Wars fans about the series from the get-go. <laughs> As you said, there was a lot of people who weren't too excited about it or just wondering why this was the direction they wanted to go. But um, 
I knew the possibilities of what the series could deliver about diving deeper into the clones adapting to this new era with the empire and boy did it deliver on that um it probably surpassed my expectations as far as what i was hoping for and getting more of that type of storytelling in this series it just more than delivered on that front so yeah i couldn't be happier with it it's just a really great first season and i just really glad we're getting more because even if this was it it would be something that i would love and glad that we got but um, there's definitely more stories to tell with these characters and where things left off. So I'm just really glad it's continuing. And yeah, just really great to get this type of Star Wars tell- stories telling for these past 16 weeks. It was just great um, getting episodes like these on a, episodes like this on a week to week basis that um, uh, we've had before with Clone Wars and Rebels. And, you know, for a time it was pretty empty. So the fact that we're back to that now. Not only with this, but with Clone Wars Season 7 uh, last year. It's just great to have that feeling of Star Wars animation on a weekly basis. And Bad Batch definitely filled that void very nicely this year. Yeah, I, I think for me, the, the season's been a really great thing. And I, I love some of the world building and, and the fun things we've gotten to do through the Bad Batch. I, I'm i kind of glad that we're kind of going away from Camino a little bit, like, from a story standpoint and moving on and, and seeing where these, you know, these characters can take us and, and what areas they, they can explore and further flesh out in the star Wars universe. Um, it is going to be interesting because I, I do feel that they're, I wonder what's going to be driving them outside of this now. And I, I think being on the run is one thing, but one thing I didn't really, really think about was that they'll be, you know, aging probably, you know, pretty rapidly. I would imagine. And yeah. if it's going to, you know, so I, I would think you, you know, you could see them kind of, if I think it'd be kind of cool if you see him age a little bit more in the next season, you know? And so you could kind of see Omega, see her brothers like, you know, really, really die before her very eyes. Be quite honest. Like they could like age out pretty quickly. And, and, you know, I, that it would be something with their mutations. I almost think that'd be, it makes sense because it's kind of weird, but you could think of like their powers could make them age even faster. If that mm. makes any sense. No, yeah, I, so, I can see that. Yeah, or it, even it, like it, I was even like I was saying earlier, like maybe because the Kaminoans saw the opportunity to like enhance those traits in them, maybe they aged right. them up even quicker to to get them on the battlefield faster, and so they're still yeah aging faster. Yeah, I- exactly. So I feel like there's, I feel like there's something there they could they could really explore, and that way you can also kind of hate to say it, but like kind of get them out of the picture a lot quicker and make a lot of sense. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see, but yeah, I, I love the series. I love the series. It's great. Yeah. I think it was, I think this season was definitely a, a solid start for sure. Um, and like you were saying, Tim, just gorgeous animation. I mean, that might be my favorite thing about it. Heck you could have an episode where the bad batch are shopping for Jogan fruit or um, wandering <laughs> through the sunny day in the void. And I would probably enjoy it because it would probably just be enough eye candy to keep me entertained for 25 minutes. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like you said too, I think they really delivered on that that sort of promise and that potential of um, just exploring sort of the post Revenge of the Sith era and what that means for the clone troopers and, and seeing sort of the galaxy transition into that Imperial era through their eyes. Um, I think that was, you know, maybe just the most interesting aspect of it was that world building and seeing this phase of the timeline and this phase, you know, this period of the galaxy through, uh, 
through the lens of these characters. And of course, getting introduced to Omega and seeing the conflict with Crosshair and all that stuff um, just all came together for a, a really solid first season. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we we obviously all enjoyed the heck out of it. Um, looking forward to more next year, but uh, I think that's just about it for now. Um, before we wrap up, um, Tim, I know you put out some uh, you put out some polar, you know, question or something on social media for the listeners, right? Yeah. Just to see what the uh, listeners thought of the finale. And you know, we've got a couple of responses. First one's from at Caleb underscore Clegan, who says that finale re-traumatized me with KOTOR ocean floor memories, <laughs> which <laughs> it's been a while since I played KOTOR. So I don't remember the exact moment he's talking about. Or oh yeah. He's talking about the Firaxin sharks on Manon. That, yeah, see, uh, I remember that planet, but I don't remember the events that happened on there. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, th that was pretty terrifying back in the day. But he's talking about, you know, the sequence with the sea monster that comes and attacks him in the tunnel. Because, yeah, there were those sharks in KOTOR that would float around. And, like, if you got too close to them, they'd come after you and, and eat you. Um, and just it being down in, like, sort of the dark, murky depths of the ocean floor. That was pretty scary. Uh, but he says, overall, I enjoyed the first season. Knowing we were getting a second season made me enjoy the finale more for sure. And then at Kid Kenobi 297 said, I don't think I could have asked for a more equally suspenseful and satisfying finale. I love the direction they are taking Crosshair's story, especially his relationship with Omega. Can't wait to hear all your thoughts. And I'm pumped for season two. Um, same here, Kid Kenobi. <laughs> Cannot wait. So, yeah, I think it's safe to say um, most enjoyed the finale. One last thing I will say about it, too. When you watch just the finale by itself, it's not your typical like, mind-blowing, jaw-dropping finale where big events and uh, big secrets were revealed or twists, anything like that. But when you watch both those episodes back-to-back, -back, it makes for a really great, impactful finale. Once you see the destruction of Topoka City, um, them trying to escape in the moments with Crosshair and Hunter, and then Crosshair and Hunter, or Crosshair and Omega at the end, it just makes for a really, really great finale. So I do kind of wish they would have done something similar to the premiere where they made it longer. It just had to be um, a 15 episode season. But the finale was pretty much uh, an hour long episode to wrap it up. Because I think it would have just would have made it that much more better. And just have it feel like like a big finale you kind of expect in what we've got in past animated Star Wars season finales like Clone Wars and Rebels, but um, not a huge deal. It's just something that I think works better when you watch both back to back because both episodes really act like one complete story that feel like the actual finale of the season, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, I mean, and to their credit, like they did market it as a two part finale. But yeah, that the the final episode did feel more like a part two. Um, like just a conclusion to what was set up in part one rather than like this is the big season finale right here mm -hmm. and yeah arguably there were more sort of like big tense moments and reveals and stuff in part one than there were in part two yeah i mean it would have been cool if they went that route but i think you know regardless we ended up with two good episodes whether they were connected or not um what would you guys say was your favorite episode overall from the whole season um oh. originally I really enjoyed uh, the bounty loss episode with Cad Bane and Fennec Chan going out and going yeah. to that first Camino cloning facility. I thought all that stuff was great, but uh, War Manta was great. And I, I really loved the finale when you talk again, going back to talking about both episodes, the premiere was pretty amazing too. But if I have to make a choice right now, just for its impactfulness on me, I'm going to go 
with Return to Camino. Nice, Paul. Yeah, what about you? probably that that Fennec Shan Catabane episode. I love, I love that episode. Really? See, that's surprising that you guys both mentioned that one. I mean, for me, like the the premiere was great. I really love the Ryloth stuff too, and that was just like some gorgeous animation. And then War Mantle was a, a fantastic episode. But for me, still my highlight of the season, hands down, was the first episode Cad Bane showed up in. Um, mm, that, that was great too. Yeah. Where you also had that, you know, the confrontation with Crosshair there on Bracca and just seeing them like fighting in the wreckage of the, the um, you know, the old Venator where they went to get their chips taken out with Rex. Um, you know, I just love the whole atmosphere and the look of that episode. And, you know, again, some really tense like action and... Um, you know, uh, dialogue with Crosshair and it was kind of their first big confrontation with him in a while. Um, and then, you know, the whole them escaping through the engine and everything. And then for that to just end with that shootout with Hunter and Cad Bane, that was just such a cool scene. And it, like for me, the biggest cool surprise of the season, because I had no idea he was going to show up. Um, that and seeing Scorch from Republic Commando in War Mantle, but that was more of just like sort of a blink and you miss it cameo. Yeah. It was like, that was not like a big built up reveal moment it was just like they're in the elevator the doors open and scorch is right there and then they close the door and go back down um but yeah i mean it was it was great seeing cad bane again and uh that scene with him and hunter was just so well executed and animated and everything um just an awesome tense standoff and then of course getting like the republic commando first person view thing and the helmet of hunter as they're leaving on the ship and all that um just, yeah, so many great moments in that episode. So that's still probably my favorite one of the whole season. But it's, it's also kind of great that there's so many to choose from. We had to think about it for a bit. <laughs> it was like the definitive one, at least for me anyway, that I immediately went to. That just yeah. shows what a great season it was. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Well, I think that's just about going to do it for now. Um yeah, it was fun getting back on here, talking Bad Batch and wrapping up the news and everything. Um, like I said, we've got some ideas for stuff we want to talk about. You know, we'll, we can talk about that, um, the Disney gallery thing with uh, the Mandalorian that's coming out next week. But we also want to do some, uh, you know, talk about some books and check in on the High Republic and the, the comics and all that kind of stuff. So that'll probably be our next episode. Um, and we'll try to get back on here and do that, uh, in a time that's not a month and a half from now. So, um, hopefully we'll be, uh, you know, we'll try to get back on a bit more frequently and, and have some fun discussion topics for you guys through the rest of the year as we get built up towards, uh, Star Wars visions and the book of Boba Fett, um, coming here by the end of the year. So we'll have some cool stuff to talk about there too. So, uh, in the meantime, uh, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Star Wars TSC. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Star Wars. The saga continues. You can send us email at Star Wars TSC at gmail.com. And you can check out our website at Star Wars TSC.com uh, for all of our latest episodes and news stories and stuff. And uh, be sure to check out thunderquack.com for all the other awesome podcasts in the Thunderquack Podcast Network, um, including Rebel Cells, where you can hear me and uh, Mike Cohen and Joe Hogan talking about all the episodes of The Bad Batch. Um, I had a lot of fun being on there with those guys this year, too. Um, But, uh, yeah, that's going to do it for now. Uh, We will see you guys next time. Thanks for listening. And as always, may the Force be with you. See you next time, everybody. Godspeed, Rebels. Rebels.